We're going to be switching things up just a little bit as a result or due to the fact of everything that is going on in our country. I call it the trifecta, where three things have perfectly aligned themselves up and created the crisis that we are in right now. I think it is a widely held belief that America is in the worst condition that it has ever been in in our generation. Right now, economically, within the past few weeks, 40 million people have lost their jobs. I can never think of a time like that. Politically, our government is paralyzed with partisanship. Culturally, our our society has never been more secular, nor has it ever been more divided. And health-wise, I've never experienced this, the pandemic that has come to America. As I began to think about that, I thought, is there, was there any time in God, with God's people that they were treading, so to speak, on new territory? And, and it made me think of Joshua, Joshua chapter 3, where God is about ready to take them in to the promised land. And God has them pause, and he tells them this, I want you to consecrate yourselves. And then he tells them why. Because you are entering in to new territory. Folks, we have never been where we are as a nation before. And there are a lot of things that are destructing the structure of our society and of our lives. Not only the things that I've mentioned there, but we are being destructed by what I call isms. Cynicism, narcissism, consumerism, terrorism, secularism, racism, sexism. What we need is healing and restoration. We need it in the economy, in businesses, in schools, in cities, in families, in marriages, in churches, and mostly We need it in our hearts. Now, the good news with all that is going on in our world today, folks, it's not fatal. I am hopeful. I didn't say optimistic. I said hopeful because I believe there is a huge difference. Optimism can be outright denial of the facts. It can just be denying them. It can be looking at the world through rose-colored glasses saying, hey, we've been here before, Uh, this will pass. Folks, I am not optimistic as defined by that. I am a realist, but I am a hopeful realist. Hope is deeper. Hope is biblical. And we need hope as people. And God gives us that out of a promise in Deuteronomy 30, 2 and 3. It says this, If you return to the Lord your God, and you and your children begin wholeheartedly to obey all the commands that I have given you today, that is consecration. And notice that he's speaking to adults, and he's speaking to children. I want you to circle children. 
And I want you to go to the website. I've put something on there as a result of this recent crisis with racial tensions in our land. Uh, Something that you as parents can use with your kids to have a discussion about race relationships. Where it's not so much influenced by the media, but rather it's influenced by you and your biblical worldview that God has given you through his word. I want you to go there and I want you to check it out and start that discussion. But notice that it's about consecrating adults and kids. And he goes on and he says, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes. Will you circle that phrase, restore your fortunes? Folks, this is an amazing promise. He says, I will restore your prosperity. I will restore your peace. I will restore your relationships with one another. Today, I want to take a look at six steps to restoration, personally and nationally. So let's get started. The first step is this. We must reconnect with God. Now, I don't know how in the world we got to where we are at right now in America. Somehow, some way, we have gotten disconnected from God. We have drifted from God. And now, because we like to think of it as money, more than anything else, it seems like and it appears like the bills are coming due. So how do you and I take this first step of reconnecting with God? Two very things very quickly. The first one is I got to recognize that God is God and that I'm not. One of the keys to stress management is to remind oneself that God is God and guess what? I'm not. And oftentimes when we don't realize that, we dig ourselves deeper into a hole. We think that we're God and we start playing like we are and as a result, things get worse. And so we need to reconnect. We need to realize that God is God by reconnecting and realizing that he is sovereign, that he is in control, that history is his story, that he is moving in a certain direction. The most famous prayer in the Old Testament is called Shema. It comes out of Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. And it says, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Jesus quoted this before he answered the question, what is the most important commandment in the Bible? And of course, we know what he said, to love God and to love one another. He brings those two together, but he prefaces it with the most important prayer out of the Old Testament. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. The very first thing to recognize if you're going to reconnect with God is that he is in control, that he is God, and guess what? You and I aren't. The second thing is that we got to realize that he really does want to reconnect with you on a personal basis. In other words, he desires a relationship with you. 
He wants a partnership with you. He, he, he wants a love affair with you. In fact, he made you to love you, and he wants you to love him back. And yet a lot of times when we find ourselves in the thicket of things, in the mess of what is going on with the problems that we have personally as well as uh, nationally, we think that God is as far away from us as he possibly can be, that he is mad at us for what we have found and developed within ourselves and around us. And folks, that's just not true. It's not true at all. God is not mad at you. He is mad about you. And God wants to connect with you personally. Take a look at Psalms 145, verses 8 and 9. He says this, the Lord is merciful, compassionate, patient, and always ready to forgive. The Lord is good to everyone and has compassion for everything that he has made. And so we need to understand that God is waiting on you and he's waiting on me to come back to him. Understanding these two preliminary things is the first step back to, to restoration and healing personally and nationally. God wants to reconnect with you. It is the answer to every problem that you and I experience in life. It is the answer to every predicament that we find ourselves in, even as a nation. Take a look at Isaiah 30, verse 15. The sovereign Lord, that means he's in control, the Holy One of Israel says, only in returning to me and waiting on me will you be saved. Folks, it's the only way that you can save your marriages. It is the only way that you can save your families. It's the only way that you can save your own life. It's the only way that you can save an economy. Folks, it's the only way that we can save our nation. Take a look at this next verse out of Joel 2.13. Return to the Lord your God. He's talking about reconnecting. He's talking about consecrating yourself. For he is compassionate and merciful, and he is always ready to forgive and to change the plans about what? Disaster. Folks, it's the only way. And so let me ask you this question. On the scale of one to 10, how connected are you to God? Zero, a little bit, or a lot? You might say, well, how do I know where I'm at on that scale, Pastor George? By asking yourself the question, who do you consult first when you are confronted with a crisis? When you are confronted with a financial crisis, with a career crisis, with a family marriage crisis, even a national crisis? What do you think of first and what do you think of most? Whatever you think of first and whatever you think of most, folks, that's what you're connected to. And God just says we must reconnect with him if we expect to be saved out of the situation that we're in. The second thing is this, that we have to rejoice in his grace. Now, what do I mean by that? Simply this, I must be grateful for things even in bad times. We need to rejoice in his goodness even 
when we are experiencing this trifecta of a, of a health crisis, of an economic crisis, of racial tensions. We've, we've got to celebrate. We've got to be thankful. We've got to be grateful to God for the good that we do have. Paul in Philippians 4.4 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord most of the time. Is that what that says? No, it doesn't say that at all. It, it comes, I, I share this for Jim because he likes this phrase. Uh, it comes out of the reviled substandard version, okay? It doesn't say that at all. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. And, and then he says it twice, folks, all in the same sentence. And again, I will say, rejoice. God looks down from heaven and he asks himself, is there anybody down there that is not complaining about the mess that they're in? Is there anybody who's grateful for what they do have? Is there anybody who's, who's thankful that they are alive and appreciative of what I have done for them, where I have put their boundaries? Now, why is this so important to personal and national restoration? Personal in the may of maybe our finances, our marriage, our, our families, nationally in the sense of what we are going through. It's because gratitude, when things are going bad, is proof of, of trusting God. It is saying to God, God, even if I get laid off in this trifecta situation, even if my house gets burned down with all the racial tensions that are going on, even if I lose my business, even if I get COVID, God, I am thankful for what you've already given me. There was a guy in the Old Testament named Habakkuk who saw his nation going to hell in a handbasket. And it said that he chose to rejoice. Take a look at Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields yield empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. Folks, we're in trouble. I'm a realist. But even in troubles, we can be thankful for what God has given us. But even in our troubles, we can not only be thankful in advance, God, you are a good God and we know you're going to be good out of this, but we can be grateful for all the things in our past. Almost every time that I pray, I start with, obviously, God, you are great, you are awesome. And I get to the issue that's on my heart. And a lot of times, folks, it's about troubles, okay? Someone's sick, someone's dying, uh, someone has marital problems, whatever. And I, I come to God and say, God, hey, God, you're great. Can you work in this situation? But I almost always include at the end, God, I'm thankful that my name is written in the book of life. And I do so because, folks, I want to have an eternal perspective. I want to have a focus on the potential and not just 
the problems. And Habakkuk says, I want you to choose to rejoice. So let me ask you this. What do you spend most of your time doing? Focusing in on the problems or focusing in on the broader perspective, the potential? Focusing in on complaining or focusing in on thanking? The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18 that we are to give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It says that we are to give thanks because it's God's will. Do you want to know what God's will is for you with this trifecta of an economy, of a health issue, of ra racial tensions? He wants you to give thanks. Not for the circumstances, but in all circumstances. God looks down and he says, is there anybody who's grateful? Now, why would he want us to do that personally? Take a look at Romans 5. We rejoice in our troubles because we know. We don't guess. We don't hope. We don't even wish, okay? Hope in the sense of optimism. No, we know that these troubles produce patience. And patience produces character. And character produces hope. And this hope will never disappoint us because God has poured out his love in, uh, uh, to fill our hearts. Why do we rejoice? Because we have a hope. And that hope isn't optimistic. That hope is certain because it is in God. It is not in government. It is not in the circumstances. It is not in financial bailouts. Our hope is in a God who loves us and who can bring good out of bad. Our hope is in a God who has saved us and can save us from the problems that we are in. That is why we rejoice. And so as we Pray for healing and restoration by consecrating ourselves, getting reconnected to God and rejoicing in his grace. The third thing that we must do is that we must request help for our leaders. The third key, key for healing and restoration personally and nationally is that we need to pray for our leaders. Did you know that it is a sin not to pray. And God has called us to pray for our leaders because everything rises and falls on leadership. Folks, I need your prayers. And if there are three things that you could pray for me about, it would be integrity, humility, and generosity. Those are the three common traps of leadership. I don't care whether it's governmental or, or the president of the HOA, okay? It doesn't matter. And I hope that you pray for me. I hope you would come to God and say, God, I pray that Pastor George would be one with his words and with his actions. 
Because that's what integrity is. I pray that Pastor George, God help him to be one who thinks of others first before he thinks of himself. That is what humility is about. I I would hope that you would pray, God help Pastor George. Help Pastor George to be generous. Folks, you and I need to pray for our leaders. And I don't care what side of the aisle you might be on. You might like President Trump, and you might hate President Trump. You might be a Republican, and you might be a Democrat. You might be nothing. You might be in the middle of the road type of a person. It doesn't matter where you fall on that side of the fence, so to speak. For you and I not to pray, folks, it's a sin. Samuel, making a decision Um, Samuel, I should say, his people, the Hebrews, the Israelites, making a decision that that God really wasn't for, okay? He said this, though, in 1 Samuel 12, 23. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and is right. Will you seek circle good and right. Folks, the way that God begins to teach us what is good and what is right is as we are talking to him, as we are praying for our leaders. And the result of doing that is this as well. Take a look at 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. Paul said this, I urge first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for kings and all in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. This is good, and it pleases God, our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Will you circle the phrase, peaceful and quiet lives? Folks, do you realize that when you pray for your leaders, you're actually praying for yourself because everything kind of trickles down. Circle, it pleases God. When God sees you praying for your leaders, he he looks at you with a smile on his face and says, that's my boy, that's my girl. And then will you circle all men to be saved? In other words, it promotes evangelism. The word gets out. And who knows, as you are praying for authority, that you might fall into an example like the Hebrews when they were in slavery for 400 years, wanting freedom as they prayed and cried out to God for it, that God might raise up a Moses as a result of the very thing that we are going through. Some of you may know this and others of you may not, but I have a new grandson. His name is Dominic. And the Josephs and the Pfizers got together the night before Big D, as I call him, was born. And together we prayed that God would raise him up to be a standard, to be a light bearer of the gospel, to bring people together because Sarah's family is Indian, and the Pfizer's, well, we're as white as we can be. That could be God's answer. And that happens 
as we pray for leadership. The fourth step to personal and national healing and restoration is that we must repent of self-centeredness. Why is that? Because self-centeredness is at the very center of our problems. Sin, the middle letter is I. The middle letter of pride is I. You've heard me say this about myself all the time. I am my biggest enemy. (laughs) I am my biggest problem. There is a book that was written over 100 years ago that is still, I believe, pertinent today. I I have this book. It was written by G.K. Chesterton. And the title of it was, What's Wrong with the World? It was written as the result of a question that a newspaper put in uh, its, its newspaper in London, asking people for their answers. And G.K. Chesterton wrote, wrote this book from that question, but he wrote to them and he gave them a two-word answer. You know what it is? I am. What's wrong with the economy? I am. What's wrong with justice in our world? I am. What's wrong with civility in our culture? I am. I am what's wrong with the world. And the heart of my problem is the problem with my heart. God didn't choose this pandemic. God didn't choose this economy. God didn't choose these racial tensions that we are experiencing right now. Folks, I have forgotten God and I have ignored the principles that are in his word. I haven't consecrated myself. And sure, there are economic, sure, there are economists that like to explain it in economic terms. And there are economic consequences. And there are politicians who like to to term it in political terms. And sure, there are political consequences. And there are medical people who like to put it in medical terms. And there are medical consequences. But those things are just the symptom. The root of the problem is a spiritual problem. It is self-centeredness. And as I like to say, because we think mostly of money, I think, the bills appear to be coming due. And I say that again because contrary to what some think, you can't spend your way out of these problems. It doesn't work that way. Spiritual problems are not solved through monetary means. They're not solved through through other means. They're solved by getting to the root. Getting to the root of hedonism, the root of sexism, the root of racism, the root of narcissism, the root of materialism. It's getting to the root. Notice what the Bible says. Take a look at Galatians 5, 19 and the following. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, 
Stop right there. I'm not even going to read the rest because Paul goes on and he lists out about 15 in this translation. Some are 19. About 15 fruits. Fruits of what comes natural. Not everything that's natural is good, is it? Arsenic is natural, but guess what? It'll kill you, okay? Uh, Hydrochloric acid is natural, but a whole lot of it, it'll kill you. Not everything that's natural is good. A lot of people think that way, though. A lot of people think, hey, if it feels good, it must be good. If it feels right, it must be right. If it's natural, it must be good. Folks, not everything that's natural. Anger is natural. Hatred is natural. Racism is natural. Not everything that's natural is right. And the Bible says when we allow our nature, our natural nature, to raise its ugly head, it produces unhealthy fruit and it produces problems. And all you and I have to do is to turn on the TV And see it in our entertainment and see it on our news. Any wonder we are the way we are. And so the fourth point of restoration, personally and nationally, personally in our marriages, with our finances, uh, with our families, with our kids, with our money, nationally with this trifecta that's going on, is that we need to repent of our self-centeredness. The fifth thing to restoration is that we must respect each other. Now, our culture has become more diverse. And as a result, this has become more important. What I see in our culture is no doubt a whole lot more diversity I mean, you can slice it whichever way, and there's, it seems like, that many pieces of the puzzle. And yet, with that diversity, I have also seen more polarity. And yet, we have not made progress. Though we have made progress, some, with civil rights, we have not made any progress that I can see with civility. Our culture is a culture of put-downs. And we see it a lot, in a lot of different ways, on, twi- on Twitter, on social, on other fo- uh, platforms of social media. I really believe today that our generation is far more rude than the generation that is before us. Why is it that God compels us and commands us to treat each other with respect? Well, the answer is because God has never made a person that he hasn't loved, that he doesn't have a purpose for, that he didn't die for. God made them, and Jesus Christ died for them. And that is what gives them worth, and that is what gives them value. And so we ought to treat everyone with respect. At LifePoint, we're about this. In fact, will you write this down? 
We believe in the good news and the common good. We believe in both of those things. It is a summary of the great commandment and then the great, uh, or the great, great commission and the great commandment. We believe in the good news. Folks, Jesus Christ died for every person on this planet. All we have to do is accept and get connected with our creator through Jesus Christ. He is our Lord. He is our God. And we are to believe in the common good. Life isn't just about believers. Folks, it's about also loving our neighbors. And we've got neighbors who believe and we've got neighbors who don't. 2 Peter 2.17 says, show respect for all people. That means everyone. All means all, all the time. No matter who they are, where they come from, what sexual orientation they proclaim to have. God says, I want you to show respect to everyone. And then he says, love the brothers and sisters of God's family. Folks, that's us. That's pretty easy to do. And then he says, respect God and honor the king. In other words, those who are in authority. On my desk, I have several pictures. I have a picture of Martin Luther King Jr. And he is a hero of mine because he was a leader of civil rights. I've read a number of things from Mother Teresa. She is a hero of mine because she reached out to the outcasts. Gandhi, honestly, is a hero of mine because he respected different religions. Abraham Lincoln is a hero of mine. And to be honest with you, it's because he instituted chaplaincy at that time during the Civil War so that pastors and rabbis could come and minister to those who were wounded, whites and blacks. You might ask, what do all these different individuals have in common? Well, to be honest with you, not a whole lot. They all come from different time periods, and to be honest with you, they all had different belief systems. One was Baptist, one was Catholic, one was Hindu, and one was just a theist. But what they all had in common was that they all valued the dignity of every person. Everybody mattered, no matter who or what they believed or where they came from or what the color of their skin was or what their, or, or what their cultural background was. Now, you may be sitting there and you may be thinking, well, Pastor George, what are you saying here? Are we to ignore the differences? Are we to pretend that sin is not sin and, get al and go along just so that we get along and never talk about the truth? No, not at all. We're not to pretend that we're, that we're all alike. Folks, it's obvious we're not. We're all different, but we need to understand God loves diversity. 
Diversity doesn't mean you're right. It doesn't mean you're wrong. Guess what it means? It just means that you're different. And to acknowledge the differences is to begin to seek understanding, which I really believe will result in a better world. And so we don't pretend that we're all alike. And we don't pretend that sin isn't sin. No, we do. But what we do is that we respect everyone and we practice Ephesians 4.15. We speak the truth in love. Now, I guarantee you, with the world that we live in right now, if you do that, you will be judged. You will be misunderstood. You will be hated. You will be yelled over. But we have been called to overcome evil with good. In fact, we have been called to a higher standard than that. We have been called to love our very enemies. How do you do that? How do you do that culturally? As you and I change, as we change, then we can promote change in our culture. We change us, we change our marriages, we change our families. That's why I've added that discussion. We need to start having discussions about racial relationships. And we start having discussions. And through those discussions, we can start praying. And we can start praying for our city. Just like God instructed his people when they were taken captive into a foreign land. They were in new territory, in Babylon. Folks, it was the most decadent city in the world at that time. And God said this to them. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you. Pray. Circle that word. To the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper. We need to do the same thing. We need to pray. We need to pray for change. And it starts with me first. The sixth thing is that we must revere Jesus' name. If you ever expect restoration in your finances, in your marriage, with your family, in this world that we live in. You and I must revere Jesus' name. It is the most powerful name in the universe. Nothing else even comes close to comparison. And you can see this through physical observation. I dare you, I double-dog dare you to be in a group of people and genuinely start talking about Jesus in your life and how he is the answer for the world. And what you will see is that people will freeze. In some countries, the name of Jesus is outlawed. You can't say it. And if you do, you'll be jailed or you may even be put to death. You see, the name of Jesus is the answer to prayer. It is the key 
to praying for miracles. It is the key to healing. It is the key to economics. It is the key to racial relationships. Jesus said, you can ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. A lot of times I get asked to pray at different functions because I'm looked at as a professional, okay? My small group thinks I'm the professional, okay? I'm the professional. And I will never forget coming to this community here in North Dallas, Plano, Texas, and knowing some friends who were instrumental in building the first, I mean, state-of-the-art little league ball field over in East Plano, close to Collin College. It was built by Frito-Lay. And they asked me to give the dedicating prayer. And I remember just sweating bullets over it and just thinking and writing. And then I came to the end and I said, am I going to pray in Jesus' name, amen? And I decided, I'm going to. Folks, it's the key to answer prayer. And it is the key to get in to heaven as well. When I get to heaven, I'm gonna be really bold. Jesus is my friend and I'm coming in his name because he is the one who died for my sins to bring about the good that I am experiencing right now, even with this trifecta that is going on in America. He is the one that has blessed me with good and he is the one that is going to give me the greatest future I will ever have. So let me ask you a pointed question. Where have you been ashamed of Jesus' name? Have you been ashamed of Jesus' name as you've talked about the economy? As you've talked about the health crisis in our, our country? As we now are talking about the ra our race, racial relationships with others? You might sit there and you might think, but Pastor George, I have faith though. I, I go to church. I, I, I mean, I, I'm spiritual. Can I just be honest with you from my heart? That's wimping out. The church didn't save you. Your spirituality didn't save you. Your faith didn't save you. Jesus saved you. And you and I need to be proud of his name. Take a look at Acts 4:12. Salvation is found in no one else for those in for 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 there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. You can choose to acknowledge it willfully now and be saved. Or you can later Regret, regretfully say it at judgment. Either way, God tells us, understand the perspective. Understand the goal and direction of human history, of eternity, yours and mine. It's found in Philippians 2, 9 and 11. So God raised him to the highest place. 
God made his name greater than every other name so that every knee will, have, will bow to the name of Jesus. Everyone in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And everyone will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and bring glory to God the Father. Before we pray, we're going to pass the plate as we do virtually and, and we're going to take our offerings. And so I want you to text LifePoint Church to 73256. And if you make a decision to give your life to Christ for the very first time, you can text New Start to 94,000. If you need Christ in your life, if you want to recommit yourself to Christ, I want you to pray this prayer. Lord, we come to you. I come to you right now personally. And I want to consecrate myself to you. I want to admit that I have failed. That I have sins. That life has been about me, myself, and I. But I believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sins. And that you resurrected him from the grave to prove that what you said through him, I could take to the bank. And right now, I want to choose you. I want to commit myself to you. And if you prayed that prayer, will you just let us know? You can text 94,000, new start. And if you want to recommit your life to Christ, maybe you've known him, maybe you gave your life to him when you were a teenager and you wandered away from him when you were a young adult and, and now due to the circumstances of what's going on in your life, you want to recommit your life to Christ. Will you just say this, God, I want to reconsecrate myself to you and I want you to always be my first choice in my life, in my marriage, in my family, with my career. I thank you for your grace, for your goodness towards my life. I thank you for your mercy and your compassion, that you are slow to anger, but you are abounding in loving kindness. God, I recommit myself to you, and I want my life to honor you, not only with my lips, but with my life, with my walk, and with my talk. And if you prayed that prayer, you can also text LifePoint Church to 94,000, and we will get you some information. Lord, help us. Help us personally and help us as a nation. Help us, God, with the pandemic that's going on. Help us, God, with the economy and so many people being laid off. God, help us in our race relationships. God, we need your help, and we come to you
because God, we know that it can't be done without you. And so we pray this in your son's name, in the name of Jesus, amen.